back with the Stay in the Game podcast. I am your host, Trevor Field, owner and physical therapist of Form and Function Physical Therapy in Rancho Cucamonga, California. I have a very special episode for you today. I did a, a huge interview with uh, a giant in our field, uh, Dr. Derek Hines of Acadiana Pain and Performance in Lafayette, Louisiana. And uh, we took our sweet time with this conversation. So um, we are going to just launch straight into that interview. We hope you enjoy it. Our guest on this episode of the Stay in the Game podcast is a fellow physical therapist, owner of Acadiana Pain and Performance Rehab in Lafayette, Louisiana, and host of the Pain and Performance podcast. Please welcome Dr. Derek Hines. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, I ran across Derek a few weeks back, and uh, I really thought this would be a, a great guest to get uh, for you guys to listen to. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, when you find people that, that kind of uh, think the way you do to some degree, you really want to uh, spend a lot more time with them. So this is actually uh, all, all for me, not even for you guys. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on. Look, that's half the Look, reason that I do this stuff. Is it would be weird for me to grab friends, me to grab friends of mine and like ask them like, all these like digging <laughs> questions. But oh, hey, we're all podcasts. Put a mic in front of you. Um, then it seems to be okay. So yeah, so we have a similar background in kind of coming from uh, small town USA, and uh, uh, I wanted to get a little bit of uh, of your history in terms of kind of ending up where you were. I know uh, when we met, uh, you were discussing kind of staying in the, the, the more complex medical management of these people who had failed PT elsewhere. And I wanted to kind of get some, get some thoughts on that. How did you end up in that kind of space? So I'll give you my uh, little background. My family is a medical family. My mom was a nurse. My grandfather was a rural primary care physician. And when I was about, I don't know, five to 10 years old, every summer we would go and spend a week with my grandfather while he was seeing patients with a bratty little grandkid nipping at his heels. I have no idea how he had the patience to do some of that stuff, but um, it definitely affected and like gave us that drive to help people. So on some level that was always going to be in, in the future was like figuring out ways to help people. Um, and for me, I'm a, I'm a terrible rule follower and so I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it in my own way. I'm going to find another path in to, to help people. And so uh, I, I started looking for different avenues to be able to, to create impact. I wasn't a big fan of the, the modern medical model of you know, prescriptions and surgery and time. And so I was trying to find a, a path into it. And I came across who ended up being my first mentor a doctor from Kentucky who happened to be in Louisiana. And uh, we met and started listening to him talk and explain health and explain changes to patients and put his hands on patients. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do it. It's like sports and healthcare and education and teaching all wrapped up into this beautiful little ball. And that kind of started my my education process into 
like the physical therapy world and the health and the, the kind of pain world because he was very good with his hands. And so he started to get this reputation for if you failed, you know, the, the old school, you know, rehab of do some exercises, do the hot pack stuff. This was still kind of during that time. Um, then go to this guy, you know, he, he does a lot of hands-on stuff. And so, you know, that was like the, the first big introduction to it. Um, I went to LSU med in new Orleans and we had a very interesting class. We had all kinds of changes. And so, you know, we had a great education in some ways. We had a very challenging education in a lot of ways. Our manual therapy professor passed away my second year of school. We changed presidents of the of the the school while I was there, um, so I very quickly said I'm just gonna go find the best people to study under. Um, we get to do these residency things. I'm gonna go and and you know ask and beg people to take me. I'll I'll clean the floors after clinic hours. Just let me be there. They're letting me set up wherever I want to go. Um, and when I look back, that thought that I could set something up to study with people actually carried me much further but um I, I started doing that and traveled around the country and, and got to study with some absolutely brilliant uh, doctors and pts and realized really quickly if these people were the best and we were still getting patients who were already damaged and injured and having chronic pain something about the way we were addressing pain and problems was broken like the system was broken already before the patient even got in the door and so that kind of took me into the, like, it can't be like this all over the world idea. And I started reaching out and seeing if I could go and study abroad with, with doctors in different countries uh, that had different ways of doing some of these things. And so that took me, you know, to Europe, South America, Thailand, uh, Croatia, Spain, and studied with some absolutely amazing doctors and practitioners of all backgrounds. And a lot of what I started to realize was that they addressed health first and we addressed sickness first. We addressed the problem first and they started looking at what is the base level of health and then let's build up from there. And it's a small twist, and it, it doesn't seem like a drastic thing, but when you actually put that into healthcare, it's everything. It means that you know, we're looking at do, do people have the basic building blocks of health in their body now to function like they should, and if not, let's fix that before we start just kind of you know, pouring fuel on the fire as we tend to do here. Right, absolutely. I mean, if you boil this down and simplify it, really, uh, and this is, happens in in every aspect of life when we're trying to fix things at the effect level rather than the cause level it just does not work it doesn't work you see it in politics you see it in pt you see it in medicine you see it everywhere well i even take that to to surgeries like when we look at the the you know effect of let's say a disc bulge or a disc herniation and we look at that and we think that that is the problem inherently that this disc has herniated out and it's pressing into the nerves and that's why someone's having pain. If you really get down deeper and you look at like that disc has no forces by itself, it's just a structure in there. So it has to be being affected by outside forces and that's the muscles and the structures around that. That's the movement that's happening around it. 
So if there's a problem with that disc, the disc is not the problem. The disc is, is you know, the symptom of what the underlying problem is. So if we go in and we do a surgery to that disc and we haven't corrected that underlying problem, we still haven't addressed the true cause of that issue. And if that's that they've got this severe imbalance in their body, you know, we see it all the time. Hip flexors are incredibly tight. It's causing compression across the front of the disc. It's squeezing all those structures down. It's creating this posterior force in the disc. They can go and do a surgery and do a fusion or do a disc replacement. And if that situation is still present in the body, what happens? The, the segments above or below are next. And, oh, those broke down too because of that. Or they do that surgery and the, the pain's still there. The problem's still there. We didn't actually get there down to the root cause of the problem and make any change. We were just doing a very expensive intervention to a symptom of the problem. Exactly. And it's for me, like, um, you know, following all these uh, great people for you to learn from and get kind of some of this insight. For me, it's always been, how do I look at this problem like a, a four-year-old and just say, why? Like you, you see the disc bulge. Why? <laughs> all right. What? What? precipitated that tightness in the hip flexor. Why did that happen? It's, can we go back to the, because ultimately the, the output was the disc bulge. It's usually five steps prior to the disc bulge where the fixing of the problem actually has to happen. Yeah, the three whys, like we talk about it all the time, like it hurts here, why? Well, because this is happening, why? Well, because I am doing this every day. Now we got to our... Our, our initial, you know, problem that we want to fix. What is the source? Um, but yeah, I mean, me and you met, at, you know, we were at, you know, talking business and stuff. And this is the same way in business is like when there's a problem in your business, it usually stems from something three or four steps back that that was done incorrectly or that's where that it, it started and it continued to progress until, oh, we see this problem here. Well, where did that actually start? Where is the issue that we need to fix? And it's, it's never right there. It's never right around what the problem is. Um, it's always kind of somewhere back throughout that process. There was something going on three or four steps away that actually kind of started some of the issues. So it's interesting how some of that stuff ties into to many different, you know, biology, physiology, movement, business. For sure. It and, and back to kind of the problem, I think this is why there is kind of an epidemic of pain because people start to see, well, I have this sciatic nerve problem and, and somebody told me about this muscle, the piriformis, and if I just go see a massage therapist and rub out this tight muscle, then I'm going to have this problem solved. It's like there's just you know, not enough good guidance of where people need to go to solve these, you know, what to us is a pretty simple, straightforward problem. Well, we're, we're in a weird time where it used to be that when you had a problem, you needed to go to the expert for the answer. Now we're in this issue where there's so much information out that when we have a problem, we get bombarded with all of these solutions that some people have tried and, and worked for them and have made the mistake that if it works for me, it should work for everyone with this problem unfortunately that's not how the body works you and i can have the exact same pain where we're experiencing pain in our body physically like i feel it in my shoulder you feel it in your shoulder and those two things those the, the causes of those two can be coming from completely different areas 
So if you just pull up the information and it's like, oh, you got shoulder pain, you need to do this. Um, now we're actually having to find experts and, and you know, professionals so that we can weed through all the information that we have to actually find the one that pertains to us. Not that it's bad information. It's just may not have to do with what we need to improve our, our own health. Sure. I mean, I want to go back. So I know you mentioned kind of a, a system being broken. Where's the breakdown in your estimation? I, I find it in two areas. Um, and, and I see this whenever I've, I've studied abroad and how their education system is set up to educate not just healthcare, but education across the board. Um, you, what we've, we've taken out in a lot of areas of our education is the analysis part, the, the critical thinking part for, you know, even kids, but definitely in healthcare, um, is that, you know, the three whys of really pulling back and analyzing what's going on in situations. Why is that the answer? Is that the real answer? If the research says that, is it good research? Why is that happening? Um, and because of the way that, that we educate and the way that that's set up, all of our healthcare practitioners get out and they're already, they're already thinking in a certain pathway. And it's really hard once you get in that, that pathway of thinking to get out of it, to take yourself out of it. Um, this is why it, a lot of the people I listen to around health are more in the PhD world. Um, because the one good thing is by the time you get to the to, to pursue a PhD, they have to reprogram. I've talked to all of them. They're like, you have to reprogram your thinking that you've had through education all the way up until this point. And we have to scramble all that stuff that you learned through childhood, through college. And you have to start learning to think a different way if you're going to if you're going to you know, start to to look at data and information differently. Um, they don't have a dog in the fight. They just want to know what works and what doesn't and what's the research say and is it good research. If we could do that more, then I think some of these, you know, maybe less expensive interventions, maybe easier interventions, maybe less profitable interventions if you're looking at insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies wouldn't be the first place that we would start. So that's the second answer to it is I think first it's education Second is the power that we've given to the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies in this country. I, um, I had a, a friend of mine that I trained with overseas who's a doctor in Japan who came and visited me quite a few years ago. And her biggest takeaway was why in the world are we advertising drugs on TV? She, she could not for the life of her understand that, that we were doing drug advertisement for health problems on TV. I was like, well, the drug companies figured out that if they did that and they went straight, then the, the patient would go in and ask the doctor and they made more money. She was like, yeah, but that's not good for them. They don't know anything about medicine. Like, they don't need to be worrying about that. But that's how foreign it was for her that we were allowing, you know, that type of practice to happen. And, and so, you know, I, I love business and I love, you know, uh, the the ability, if you help a lot of people for you to do well, I think you should be able to, you know, do incredibly well for yourself if you're helping a lot of people. Um, but I also think there's a responsibility that comes with that, uh, that if you are in that situation, that the, the things that you're giving people should be the, you know, most efficient and 
um, you know, minimum effective dose and we start there. We don't skip over all of that stuff and give you a medication that in some situations is needed and necessary, but in 80% of them, we could have fixed that problem in, in a much easier way. I, I think there's probably a lot of answers to that question, but if you really dig into it, those two probably are the root for a lot of it. So when we talk about kind of the, the minimum dose, so when you're uh, applying some of your treatment techniques, tell me, I mean, obviously, when we talk about your specific practice dealing with, you know, again, more complex pain type conditions, what kind of uh, tools do you employ that maybe the typical uh, in-network, you know, insurance-based PT might, might not be using? Yeah, we look at, so we look at when someone comes in with a pain problem, there's, there's, to me, there's kind of three components to that. There's the physical part of it, there's the chemical part of it, and then there's kind of your, your belief, mental, emotional component, component of it. Um, and so what we're trying to do is identify where the primary problem lies in that. And so, you know, really, really doing a great assessment of what's going on with somebody. Um, I can't tell you how many people I get in the door who say, like, they went, you know, to a doctor, they went somewhere, and the person never put their hands on them. Um, I, I, the image does not tell us anything about pain generation. And so, you know, when we're looking at an MRI or an x-ray, I'm sure you've talked about this on your stuff, but that may have absolutely nothing to do with your pain. And the only way that I can find that out is if I get my hands on you, I start getting you to move, we start stressing different structures. What are you feeling? Are you getting a pain response from that? Um, so that's probably the start is really getting a great idea of does this problem lie in the physical part? Does this lie in the chemical part? Um, and so for us, we're always trying to look at, you know, what do you have in your body? Um, so if we can get tests done to find out, um, you know, the, the nutrient makeup in the tissues, in the blood, uh, I like both of those. I think a blood test tells us a lot of how your body is regulating these things really well and, and looking at micronutrient makeup and hormone production and inflammatory markers in the blood is really, really helpful. Um, I'd say over the last few years, we started looking at, at um, doing these like tissue screening, micronutrient screening, and a lot of that's done by a hair sample that, that's mailed off. And the reason we started adding that in was I was talking with a doctor and he was like, look, your body's gonna regulate your blood very, very highly. If a problem ends up in your bloodstream, your body could no longer maintain that uh, balance. And so it's, it's really a problem now. He was like, but in your tissues, your body will say like, oh, I'll shut that stuff out of the bloodstream and just store it in the tissues for now. It'll be fine. Um, so we started running these tissue, these, these kind of hair, hair analysis to find out what is in the body from kind of a, a storage standpoint in the tissues, which for us is a lot of what we're trying to treat, right? You know, we're, we're treating problems in the tissue. So I want that balance in there. If we find, you know, issues in, in that aspect, you know, this leads to why we, we do all the advanced stuff that we do in our clinic, because when we'd find a physical problem, you know, we had the tools to fix it. And for quite a few years, that's what we were doing. And then we started looking at, well, this isn't the only component of health or pain you know, there is this chemical component. Well, if we're trying to make our patients more successful in recovery, how do we address that chemical component? Is that education? Is that technology? Um, is that lifestyle? Is that supplementation? Uh, and so that, that 
added a layer to the practice of, you know, we're not doing anything to help this and I can give you the best physical treatment in the world. But if your inflammatory markers are through the roof, your body is so busy putting out fires all over the place that, you know, if we're like, hey, go change the light bulb, light bulb. One of my guests was like, there's fires all over the house. And you're like, go change the light bulb in the attic. You're like, no, <laughs> that's what our body's doing. Uh, all these resources are, are all over the body. And it's like, yeah, I know there's a little rotator cuff injury. That's the least of my concerns right now. I'm just trying to keep us alive today. We can worry about the rotator cuff another time. Um, so it, that's that's where a lot of the advancement stuff came in was was starting to look at, you know, what are the components that make up health? Um, how can we start to look at them and find out what's going on in each of those components? And then what do we have that can improve it? Because we don't want to just tell you you got a problem. What can we do that that adds in something? So you're like, Right. You know, tell me a solution. So now that you kind of added that layer, as you said, into your practice and started looking at the blood and looking at tissue, what are what are some techniques that you employ to try to, I don't know, try to balance that out or detoxify uh, uh, this client to get them the outcome they're looking for? Yeah, we so we kind of walked the line. So I think that there's this giant gap between what like old school rehab is like exercise, hot pack stuff terrible right you know if you're anybody listening if, if that's what you're going there and you're thinking oh i can do this at home you can do it at home find somebody else um and then your orthopedic and your like stem cell type treatment i i think those are on the two polar ends of the spectrum and then there's this giant gap in between that can really make a huge difference in people's lives and i think the the perfect profession to take that up is your conservative healing profession. I think your PTs well educated in movement and health, um, in function, you know, chiropractors in a lot of sense can, can step in there. Um, I think a lot of the osteopaths have a good, uh, handle on motion and how the body is all intertwined probably better than a lot of the allopathic medicine. Um, they have a, an amazing education in, in, you know, uh, like diagnostics when it, in terms of like keeping us healthy when something serious has happened, but in optimizing our everyday function, it's not as well suited for that. So uh, in that gap, I find like regenerative therapy and functional therapy to be something that we should just be, be learning as much as we can as PTs and as a profession and helping in as many people as we can with that. So what that looks like to us is like, if somebody comes in and we find out that you're having problems, um, you know, with whatever body part, you're having a low back issue, and we see that you have significantly high inflammatory markers, for us to get your back to heal, for your body to get all those healing agents, which it does naturally if we have a good immune system. When you cut yourself, you don't think I have to do anything. You cover it up and let your body heal it. That's what we want the inside to do. But if our immune system is overrun with inflammation, it's not going to be able to do that. So we start looking at what can we do from from three aspects. We need like an input. So that's the food or supplements, a behavioral change and an activity change. Can we change one or two of those to make it better? So if you're eating an inflammatory diet, then we want you to pull those things out. And, and a lot of times we'll tell them, you look, if it's really high, let's just do like a flush and we'll, we'll have you do a, a fasting mimicking diet for five days. We'll flush all the inflammation out and then we'll start new. Um, if 
you are eating well and your body's just having trouble keeping up, then we may want to start adding in an activity like cryotherapy consistently. So they're getting in a cryo chamber. Ours is like the true whole body cryo chamber that you're, you're, you walk in. So you're getting the air in. It's all around your head and neck where all of these receptors are. And they spend like three and a half minutes in there. Um, and, you know, then we're also going to look at, do we need to add in some supplementation? You know, are, are we looking at omega-3s? You know, are we looking at like a good turmeric compound? Something that's a bit more natural than like an NSAID that blocks the healing process, but helps your body handle inflammation better, process inflammation better. Um, we don't want to block inflammation per se, um, but if we have so much of these inflammatory markers in our body and we don't bring them down, our body can't hear the inflammatory markers from the, the main problem. So um, that's kind of how we would think about it. Does that, does that make a little bit of sense? It does. And I, I think we, we speak kind of the same language when we, when we discuss inflammation. It's like inflammation is necessary because there are markers within that kind of chemical response for your body to, to send help to remodel those tissues. And if we just delay that for four hours, all right, did, did I just delay my healing four hours? Did I make that tissue healing incomplete for the trade-off of just getting that temporary kind of fix in terms of what I feel symptomatically? So uh, I think, yeah, there is a better way to manage inflammation. And uh, you mentioned kind of turmeric as, you know, the classic one herbal that most people have heard of. Um, for me, um, I would probably go a little step deeper in terms of trying to go to like bromelain and papain, which are proteolytic enzymes. And people are talking and doing a lot more research on fibrin and its component uh, of, of trying to uh, fibrin being something that actually can cause a lot of pain in connective tissue. So um, there, there's a ton of, of things out there to, to try to get your body. Yeah, noticed. and I think that's probably one of the difficult things is like when we start to go into this, there's a there's an education component, and I mean I I appreciate you doing this and putting the podcast out because I, I I do think you know going back to your question of where is the breakdown, on some level we have to take responsibility as a as a member of society that we've been at least part of this kind of quick fix idea, um, and so for us to start putting out the information that is look it's not here's the one thing. You know, it, it's a little more uh, nuanced in there if we're really trying to get to the heart of some of these problems. Um, we've got to be putting out information for people to learn and to start taking responsibility for their health and, you know, the, the, the activities that we need to put in and to it. Um, so we're always trying to, to go through like, OK, you know, if we are if I'm giving you the perfect healing situation, here's what I do now that might look like six different things let's not start with all of those let's do these three that are going to make an absolute difference over the next six to eight weeks and then we can start layering in layering in these other two or three things that might be what gets me from 80 percent to 100 percent um, what we find a lot if somebody's had chronic pain is that when we start doing these things we start addressing the uh, the physical function and the position and the imbalance in the body. We start improving the chemical. We start splashing in through our conversations, a little bit of change in the belief patterns and the mindset around it that we can get you to 70 to 80% very, very consistently from 80% to a hundred percent. We're going to have to 
work very, very closely as a team to get there. And the, you know, at the beginning of that, it may be 80% of us and 20% of you. And as we go through that, it's going to start to flip. And that last 5% might be 98% you doing the work and 2% us saying, great job, keep doing it, keep going, you're on the right track. Um, but it, it, it is a life cycle of that, you know, that, the, the kind of where does the activity um, happen and then who's responsible for it. And it flips once we get towards that, that end of, uh, the end of the healing cycle, the pain cycle, the health dysfunction, whatever it might be. Absolutely. So, I mean, tell me about, I know you mentioned kind of uh, getting cryo on board, but tell me, I know you do a whole lot more integrative type style of, of intervention. So tell me about some of the emerging technologies you're using to treat some of these things. Uh, and how did you, how did you get a hold of a lot of this stuff? How did this come into your world? Yeah, a lot of our uh, um, technology that we have starts from what problem are we trying to solve for the patient? How do we make our patients more successful in their health journey? And so, you know, in the beginning stage where cryo came from was we realized that if they were inflamed and they were dealing with systemic inflammation, we needed to solve that problem or they weren't going to be as successful as they could be. As we got through that and started seeing the results, we also started seeing that a lot of these injured areas did not get good blood flow. Um, and we started looking, how can we help solve that problem? Is it hyperbaric? Is it, you know, another type of technology? Is it sauna? Um, and we came across PEMF therapy, which, you know, I, I know you've talked about it on here quite a bit, but does a great job of oxygenating tissue and getting nutrients and blood flow into these tissues that may be hypovascular. They don't get great blood flow and, and nutrients. Part of the reason they're difficult to heal but if we could add that layer in and help solve that problem, then we're going to make this even more effective. Whatever treatment we're doing physically, we're going to make more effective by actually getting all these healing agents in there. As we added that in and we started looking at patient results, the few patients that didn't get all the way better, we started looking at like what was going on with them. And one thing we found, you know, and obviously we dig in and we do a lot of testing with this is that their cellular function, their mitochondrial function and energy production from their cell was not up to par. And so how can we affect that? How can we affect mitochondria? A lot of people on here will probably remember mitochondria from like what, seventh grade science, like the powerhouse of the cell. I think that's the one thing that everybody remembers from it, which is fantastic. It's an important part of us. Um, and so we started looking at that. Can we affect that in some way? So we come across uh, photobiomodulation or infrared laser therapy. Um, those things can really increase mitochondria genesis, your body's production of mitochondria in the cells, so that now if we've cleared inflammation out of the body and we've got blood flow to these cells, do they have the, the energy to, to use that oxygen effectively in whatever method so that can be performance or function but that can also be healing so they can actually use that to produce healing energy more effectively um, and so that that adds that layer on and then we start looking well if we get them better and they feel good but they go back to living the life that they were living eating the things that they were eating moving how they were moving then the chance that they end up back in my office is going to be very high and so that is kind of you know 
a lot of what we look at now is is education and how do we get them the information of what they should be doing after all of these things. So if you're looking at, um, you know, changing diet, you know, we know that that's a that's a difficult thing. I'm in South Louisiana. So, uh, you know, look, we like our fried food. We like our, our jambalaya. You know, we love our gumbo. Everything is like a roux with rice. That's it. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of, you know, as we look towards the future of some of this stuff, it's like, can we start to not only take them through this cycle of healing and regenerating healthy tissue, but can we also have some stuff after the fact that's going to teach them how to, to continue using this newfound health so that they can live longer, they can live better, they can be with their family, they can go after their goals, they can do all the things that they wanna do. Pain is a really good motivator and so right after that, there's this little window where we remember how bad pain was. And we have a little extra motivation to carve out some time in our schedule to do some health stuff. So while we have that, I'm like, okay, let's set it down right now. Take action. You have a goal. We got to take action right away or we know that, that the chance that we go after that goal is much lower. Um, so, so that's how we've added a lot of this stuff is all came from like, how you know the patient-centered standpoint what do we need to do to make a patient's health better and what problems are in there that we're not solving now um so i, I know that's a lot one thing that that has recently changed with that was we start looking at someone who doesn't have the physical ability to heal tissue so uh you know when we're younger our body does a really good job of regenerating tissue and that starts to go down as we get older so if you look at like a 50 year old who is trying to re repair a meniscus tear or a rotator cuff tear, it's just harder. And so we started looking at, I, I, can, I can fix the functional issues, but you actually have unhealthy tissue in there that needs to be repaired. So what things could we do on top of some of these, these technologies that would help? Um, and so a lot of that has, has come into like the regenerative therapy world. So we're looking at, at a lot of the peptides and what we've found is if we're doing those therapies, if we're getting rid of inflammation, getting blood flow and nutrients to the tissues and stimulating, um, you know, cell energy, and we put someone on a regenerative peptide, if it's a tendon, we're probably looking at something like BPC-157 um, that does a really good job. Very, very safe profile, um, very, very effective in improving, um, you know, growth response in the, the tissues, especially like tendons, ligaments. And there's been some studies done on uh, nerve regeneration. When we put that together and we, we marry that, it's incredibly effective at addressing the root cause and kind of generating some new tissue in there that's now healthy. Yeah, when, when we don't have that fundamental foundational ability to, to, to mend tissue, I, I mean, you, as you said, you can do everything perfectly, you're just gonna be stuck. So going back to kind of like that uh, 50 year old uh, and how you described it is, is kind of how like we educate our clients is that at the age of 30, uh, you know, that tissue regeneration starts to decline at a rate of about 1% a year. And it's because enzymatic production starts to decline at that rate. So literally the peptides are taking place of your body's natural kind of enzymatic production. So when your body's shutting down that production, you can kind of supplement those type of things to allow tissues to regenerate. So tell me about these peptides. Is this kind of more of an oral supplementation or are you getting kind of a, a weekly kind of intermuscular injection? What's the, what's the source? What's the uh, delivery mechanism for, for the peptides? 
Yeah, I think if people start digging into it, you're going to find uh, that a lot of um, peptides are not going to be orally available. Uh, the vast majority uh, are not. There's a few that are topical that can be absorbed through there. BBC-157 is kind of a strange one in that it's found in our gastric acids, in our stomach acids. And there's certain companies that have figured out really, really good ways to get an oral form of BPC in and absorbed really well because it is found in, in gastric acid. So our stomach acids don't just break it down right away. Um, so what we've found is that the, the oral application of one like BPC is just as effective as doing an injectant, like a, a subcutaneous injection. Most of them, it's not like a hard injection, like they're, they're giving, like the, the most common peptide in the world is insulin. So that one's given, you know, many, many, many people um, have to give themselves insulin shots uh, around, you know, around the world. Um, there's quite a few other ones that fall in that world. From physical uh, regeneration, BPC, it, it's, it's very fortuitous that that is the one we can take orally and get a lot of effect. Now, the one thing I'll say that we've found with BPC-157 is that you need a stimulant or your body's just gonna take it in and start repairing a bunch of stuff. And that may be like stomach lining stuff. That's why it's in our body is to, to, to repair a, a lot of the, the stomach tissues and tissues around there. If we have enough of it, it starts to go and just repair tissue in general. Um, so we find like 500 micrograms a day is a, a perfect dose. People do really, really well on it. Um, joint, joint issues. We did a study on meniscus tears and um, we took them two months through, they were doing everything. They were filling out all our surveys. We're going to end up putting the data out because it was incredible. Um, and, and this ran from, uh, January to March of this year. And we started getting calls over the last couple of months of like people saying, Hey, can I do another round? I was like, well, what's happening? Is your knees bothering you again? No, I'm not having any knee pain, but my hands had stopped hurting completely. And I was having like, you know, neck pain occasionally our headaches and I'm not having any of that stuff. Um, one of our, one of them came and said like, um, she was like, I had stopped running because I had big toe pain. She had a really bad bunion on our big toe. And um, she sends us a picture of her big toe. She was like, look, it looks okay now. Like it doesn't look bad. You know, can I do another round? Um, with all of these people, what we were doing was they were taking the peptide to regenerate and we were doing dry needling and uh, like soft tissue work, joint work around the problem area. So we're trying to address the physical functional problem that, that's in there. And we're trying to stimulate a healing response using dry needling, which is that's basically what it does is, you know, it goes in, it makes your body think that there's a new problem. So it needs to send nutrients there. That only works if nutrients are being produced, if they can get to that area in, uh, in you know, and the cells can actually do the work that we're asking them to do. So when we look at the research behind that, I'm like, how many people have those three things being addressed whenever we do a dry needling research study? Not very many. Um, and so that's, that's where I think it is difficult to study some of these things. But so we were doing needling in and around the knee. We were doing a lot of physical treatment to the knee and trying to align that. And I know this isn't a great, you know, double blind placebo controlled trial. Um, but the results that they got versus the results that the patients that didn't do the peptide versus the patients who were doing home exercises. So we had a group that just did exercises for the two months.
um, it's in it's an absolutely incredible change. It's not a powerful study because it was only ten people in each group. Um, you know, you'd love to repeat that with a hundred, but it's enough proof of concept um, for us to keep going with it. So, um, you know, that's that one. It's very nice that we can get it in orally because it it is the most physical um of peptides in terms of like changing tendons ligaments muscle injuries and nerve injuries for things like vascular and blood flow there are some that people need to inject um there's another one we use for scar tissue like skin scar tissue called ghk copper um, that's a topical peptide that helps re regenerate healthy skin um, and we've done a lot where we'll combine that with the infrared the the photobiomodulation stuff for people with like psoriasis plaques, um, for painful scar tissue after surgery, after chemotherapy and things like that, it is very, very impressive to see what some of the changes these people are getting whenever they're combining those things. So um, so at this yeah. point, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners who are like tuning into a PT podcast are like, wait, you treat what now? It's because right. most people are like, oh, you're a PT. Can you take a look at this shoulder? I mean, it, definitely we have the 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 knowledge base and the education and you know like you said with this gap of uh the the lousy garbage pt doing kind of exercise and hot packs and the the extreme of going to surgery as you said this gap is is massive and you've clearly kind of uh, uh not just stepped foot in but uh did the uh nasty plunge into that gap and uh are dominating yeah i, I think i mean i think you hit it on the head i think that that we are perfectly positioned as a profession to be the, the we're, we're the movement specialist, but we should be the functional specialist in, in terms of how do we help people function better in their lives. Um, it, to do that, we're, we're looking at more, but our education is a whole lot more than it ever was, um, you know, starting to continue and, and push that stuff forward. Um, I, I think we should be taking all of that gap up and we should be, you know, grabbing what areas excite us as as individuals and and continuing to push that and get that information out to our patients and help more people so that we get to a point in the future i really believe there's a point where if we do all this stuff right that surgery becomes a thing that is is emergency only that you know something happened um you know in an extreme emergency situation and we need we need surgery i think the vast vast majority of the rest of that is things that we can correct if we do the right things like we were talking about earlier five steps ago um and i think that is a possible thing in the future um if we can continue pushing this forward do the data do the research communicate get the education out there um, and implement some of the changes. Healthcare has been very slow to implement changes over the, the history of the last, you know, quite a few hundred years. Some of that's good because, you know, we're not just going out there and doing frivolous things. Um, but I think there's probably a closer balance to these are the things that are proven safe. And theoretically, these are the things that can really move the needle forward. Let's get some of the data clinically and see how much we can help. And I think if we do that, then we get to this world where it's like, you know, pain is is not this dirty word that that everybody's talking about. Um, that's just a signal of something that we need to improve. And we know that we've got systems in place to help those things improve and heal. And, um, you know, that that's that that really changes the world. Uh, I tell my staff that all the time, like you are really changing the world 
how many great inventions, how many great discoveries or great businesses or great people were not as effective as they could have been because they were in pain. That's a fact. And I mean, ultimately, people who are listening to this are going to be like, man, this is so completely different from what I've I've heard in the past. Do you get a lot of pushback? Do you get a lot of haters? Do you get a lot of kind of negativity toward kind of your thought process or a lot of pushback uh, per se in terms of the, the treatment approach? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm just got, like, you know, online, of course, you know, when we're putting some of this information out there, um, I've gotten quite good at at really trying to live on the data. So if somebody gives me pushback, there's always studies coming out. Um, you know, I do post TikTok videos that talk about this stuff. I do think it's a nice way for people to uh, to consume information. And it, it is inevitable. I'll, you'll get some pushback of like uh, bro science or, you know, quackery or, you know, these people who honestly don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature. Um, I am skeptical of everything and we're kind of known for being the advanced clinic. And so we get thrown everything all day, every day. And my initial response to 95% of it is, uh, oh, another one. Um, and then, you know, you got to start digging in and do your due diligence. But um, anytime I get pushed back, there's nothing that we do that's not backed by some level of science. I'm not saying that we have like we're only going to be beholden to double-blind placebo-controlled trials because then you would just never be able to do hardly anything that impacts people's lives. Um, but we're going to have a really sound explanation for something that makes it to our patients from a scientific standpoint, from a study standpoint, um, from a practical standpoint. You know, we're trying to check all of those boxes. Uh, so when we get pushed back, I, you know, we see, we see, look, we treat, 300 to 400 people a week um, we've got a pretty good cohort of how this is actually affecting people's lives um, and so I, I think that it goes back to that is is we're doing this for people so if we get pushed back from some talking head online it, it doesn't bother me <laughs> well I'm glad you can push that aside typically when you do get that pushback you should know that you're on the right path because I mean, any any new innovation is immediately rejected. That it's it's hated upon, and then you know eventually people get to the level of acceptance. So hopefully we can uh, uh, through even this outlet assist in uh, in making that uh, transition to acceptance happen. I'll tell you the interesting thing is if I do get pushback, guess who it's from? PTs. I can see that a lot because. Uh, I think I, I really see that a lot of our, our brethren, and I don't want to bash them, it, it's people have, have been in the field even 10 or 20 years like I have. Uh, it's like they've been in, in the industry one year 20 times. It's like they have not upskilled themselves at all. The thing that they learned <laughs> the day they left school, they have not progressed from it. And sadly, you mentioned kind of hot packs and, and just given some exercises. Sadly, that's, that's what's around me still. And I just scratch my head like, man, like how can this still be happening? Yeah, it's interesting. Cause uh, so I started, you know, when we think about this, like solving problems uh, idea and like, what is it? A lot of the education starts to take you out of our profession. And whenever I go and speak at conferences with other professions, like it, it's amazing how excited they are to hear this stuff. 
Um, like I went to a conference with a bunch of dentists and orthodontists, and when we started talking about this, afterwards there was a line of people like tell us more about it how can we tap into this stuff and you do the same conversation with a bunch of pts and they're like i know a better way to do that and that's you know we shouldn't do that we shouldn't do it that way we should do it like this um it's an interesting thing i i hope it's changing i think there's more collaboration and understanding that that we all have slightly different specialties now um so i i hope it continues to get better where we're building each other up as opposed to tearing each other down. but It is kind of weird because I was speaking at the same uh, conference that we met with some other PTs and they were describing the use of laser and their new grad PT is like, oh, you're placebo light? And it's like, do you know the history of anything that you're, th that you're speaking of? So this stuff has been studied. Low-level laser therapy has been studied since the 1950s by Andre Mester. And how did he figure out that low-level lasers actually caused photobiostimulation. Uh, Do you know the, the actual first study? He took two groups of laboratory rats, shaved their backs, and separated them, and then irradiated half with a low-level ruby laser. What did everybody think in the 1950s laser did? The same thing everybody thinks everything does right now. They think lasers caused cancer. So they needed to prove that lasers caused cancer, so they irradiated those one group of mice. And at the end of the study, four weeks later, what did they find? That the hair grew back faster on the group that got laser. Ah, it actually stimulated something to happen. So, you know, down it comes and, and literally it took until 2002, a General Motors study for laser to get approved by the FDA in the United States. So I sat with the uh, gentleman that actually brought the, the first laser to market. Uh, I don't know if you knew anything about that, Derek, but uh, he, he uh, was in Japan trying to identify some of these surgical lasers, and he identified that low-level laser was actually healing people. So it took him uh, almost 10 years to get this approved, and what it took was getting all the people on the assembly line at General Motors that all have what? Carpal tunnel from all their repetitive stress injuries. So uh, blood flow studies, grip strength tests, nerve conduction studies, and at the end, the biggest thing between your double-blind placebo-controlled trial was the people who got sham laser and rehab, 42% were back to work. At the end of it, the people who got real laser, 72% were back on the job. So yes, nerve conduction studies were better, blood flow was better, but literally these people were working, and that's what General Motors gave a shit about. Yeah, yeah, they're like, you know, I don't, I don't care what you say, we're going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, that's literally what got the FDA to finally pull the trigger and say, 2002, you're approved. So for me in clinical practice, I was probably one of the first on board in 2003 with the uh, first, uh, first laser to come to market. It's the one I still use to this day. Well, and I mean, you've heard me talk. Everything to me comes back to people. And, you know, when we look at this stuff, it's like, we can read all the studies. We can do all of that stuff. Um, it, it comes back to how are we impacting people's lives with these things? And, you know, being honest about what's going on with, with a lot of it, being honest about where the science is at, but, but having real conversations with our patients and, and remembering that, like, that's what this is all about, is how do we improve lives um, through all of this stuff, whether it's, um, you know, education, treatment, um, communication, uh, technology, like it's coming back. We're doing it for a purpose. You know, we can, we can argue with it all day long. The only person who's getting affected negatively is the patient. So, well, on, the, on that same degree is like, we're getting all this great technology that's out and there's kind of a, um, 
just a local phenomenon. I don't know if it's happening nationally. It's just stuff that I've seen, a kind of a trend that kind of recovery lounges or, or studios are doing, cryo compression, percussion, stretch, and um, like hyperbarics. But literally nobody in the building has any type of medical education. I mean, I'm not like, I love the technology in, in the right hands, but I'm just not, I don't know really fully how to feel about it just yet. I mean, what are you, what is your take? Yeah, my, I think of that, and somebody's going to hate this response. I think of that like I think of the joint. I don't know if y'all have any of those around you. you. The, the joint chiropractic place. Like, you know, people go in there, they get cracked. It, they're not really trying to change anything. It's just kind of going through the routine of it. It feels good. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a, a surface level treatment. We're not really doing any diagnostic stuff. Um, I think of those in that, that term. I, I, I think for the majority, these are very nice things because they're safe. Um, so I think a lot of people, if they're just wanting to do it because it makes them feel better, then I, I'm okay with that. I think when we start to get more specific and we're looking at somebody who's got health issues, then it becomes a lot more important in terms of dosage, time, integration, how much are we putting them together, what are we putting with them, um, you know, it, then it needs to be in the hands of somebody who understands the entire picture of, of you know, the, the diagno diagnosis, the health problem, the physical problem. Um, when they start to, to venture into that and put their toe on that side of it, I, I get a little bit nervous with it. I, I think, you know, if you just say, hey, this makes you feel good, will give you energy, gives you some endorphins. If you want to do it, you know, come do it. If you want it as part of your, you know, kind of recovery or sleep routine or whatever it might be. Um, I love those therapies personally. Like I use a lot of these things. I think the way that we use them integrated into a healthcare setting is much different um, than, you know, doing it just as like a, you know, kind of a fun party trick type of thing. Right. I think it becomes just you're at the mall and you say, you want it, I have it. Do you want to get it? it? It's like for us, if we were to do something like that, it's it's treatment without assessment for us it's malpractice, but somebody off the street can just, you know, provide this without having really a full understanding of really what's happening with that individual that they're taking these people through. So I think you're right in terms of it being in our hands and being able to, to structure it within uh, and integrate it within a healthcare setting. It's going to be way more powerful in the, in the hands of the people who actually understand how to use the tools. Yeah, you know, and a lot of those things are, are kind of layers, you know, we're, we're, we're adding on top of different things. Um, like, you know, for us, if we looked at, at, you know, the knee study that we did with patients on the regenerative, I, I think one of the biggest aspects of that was that they were getting good education and hands-on treatment and a stimulus to, to heal. Um, you know, if they were just going through uh, you know, that the hands off part of that, would that have been as effective? There's no way. Absolutely not. And we proved that. Um, so, you know, that's where it starts to get a little bit tricky is, you know, if we can start saying that those are doing the same things um, as if you were under, you know, professionally trained in, in diagnostic eyes, um, that's where I, I don't like that part of it. But I think getting people more access to it, because look, a lot of medical clinics do not have this stuff. And so if somebody's listening, they're like, I would, I like that intervention, but no one in my area has it. It's harder, but if you found a great practitioner who will spend the time and give you a diagnosis and, you know, you are, you know, going and getting the treatment, 
Um, yeah, you got some running around to do, but you can probably start to set up some of these healing situations on your own. Um, even if it is kind of running around, we treat a few professional athletes and I, I realized how small the world was for them when they said like, I have an off day, I'm flying in to get treated. And I was like, well, you are like halfway across the country. They were like, well, if I fly there, I'll be there for 90 minutes. I'll, you'll treat me. I'll run through everything in the back and then I'll fly back. I would have to drive around town for two or three hours to get all this stuff done. And I was just like, oh, um, that, that's, a, that's a different answer than 99% of the population would have. But, yeah, for sure. um, but so I, I do understand that there's an access issue with it. But. Yeah, for sure. Understood. Well, anything else you want to uh, tell the world? What is your message? What is, what is our, our, uh, our big message? What do, you, what do you have to send out to these people who are, are, are in pain? Who, um, Well, I guess at this point, a lot of people who come to you, I mean, how many people are actually coming to you and saying, I've tried everything, and then you have <laughs> this wonderful world of things that nobody's ever tried? What is your message to tell people who have struggled with pain for so long? To, to finally get access to something like what uh, you have to offer. I, my, my real message behind all this stuff is, is hope. Like I get really excited when a patient comes in after their, their two month protocol and they're healthy and they're not hurting. I don't like that interaction as much as I like the second visit when they've done everything that we're asking and they say like, like I feel different. I see things changing. I feel things changing. And you see that hope return to them again. That is possible for everyone. Like you, and, and it may not be exactly with the stuff that we do, but there is something out there that will help you get healthier, get out of pain, and improve your life. Keep going until you find that. Continue pushing forward, continue trying different things treat everything like a, you know, a 90 day experiment. Um, is it improving things? If yes, maybe it's, t you know, tweak it, add it. It needs to be more consistent. I need more time with it, but there is definitely hope. The, the natural nature of the human body is not to be in pain. You're, we just have to find what is the root cause of some of that stuff and be consistent with some of the changes. And you can absolutely get out of pain and live a pain-free life. So. That's a wonderful message for our audience, man. I, I appreciate you coming on, and that's a, a great way to end it, man. Like, literally, uh, for anybody struggling out there who's thought they've tried it all, uh, you know, don't give up. There is hope out there. You just got to turn one more stone. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, so uh, keep looking. I've got um, – I'll give the, the, the uh, humble plug. I've got a book coming out here soon um about all of this stuff if i could sit and work with a patient individually and go through everything that's what it's meant to be is like my hand holding through this whole process of what to do what habits work uh, what technologies work what peptides work what testing should you do to know if all this stuff is going the right right way so um you can go to derek hines two r's ick uh dot com slash book and uh you can sign up and start getting some of the the pre-release swag that we got coming out of, of some of the videos and information and stuff before it gets out. So um, that's the, the, the best place to kind of get more of this information. Fantastic. We'll share it out on all of our channels as well. And hopefully uh, the next time we speak, you'll be a, a bestseller. 
just a seller, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally one person buys it and it changes their life. It was worth the time that you put into it, man. So I, right. I yeah, that, that, you hit it on the head. That's exactly it. Fantastic. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on. Enjoyed having Trevor, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it immensely. I, I love what you're doing over there. Keep, keep pushing forward, man. Y'all are doing amazing stuff. I really appreciate you having me on. So there it is. That was our interview with Dr. Derek Hines. We uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. We got into some pretty detailed, uh, complex topics, some unique approaches to physical therapy. Give us your feedback. Let me know what you think. If this is uh, the future of physical therapy, if uh, you think it's all bunk, uh, if it's all, uh, you know, hype, if it's something that you really want or something you would love to see uh, our facility get uh, our hands on and bring you some of those healing uh, technologies, let me know if that's uh, something you guys are into. So give us your feedback. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share this out to somebody else who you know would uh, like to hear this podcast. Well, we'll catch you on the next one. Have a great one.